Welcome to the Retireology Podcast with Cameron Bernatsky and John Williamson, a podcast devoted to getting you to and through retirement. Hey, John. Hello, Cameron. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So this is, this is our inaugural podcast, correct? I'm so excited. Are you really? Or are you just saying that? No, I'm very excited. <laughs> you know, I sat, yeah. I was sitting, you know, the other day was what, maybe a month ago or so. And I thought, you know, what does the world need, John? The world needs another podcast, right? It does. It does. Especially <laughs> with two, as you can tell, good looking older <laughs> white guys. That's right. This yeah. is what the world needs. I mean, I, I, I was sitting here thinking about starting this today. I was sitting, getting ready for bed last night. And I thought we're kind of like a cross between... Um, Jim Cramer and Fozzie Bear, right? I mean, we're, we're, that's kind of that's kind of where we're landing on this thing, right? Right, exactly. So, I mean, in, in my impetus was, you know, and, and we'll kind of go through introductions here in a minute, but um, you know, we're both financial advisors, and the baby boomers are taking over the place, right? I mean, there's what ten to eleven thousand dollars, ten dollars, ten to eleven thousand people every day that are turning sixty-five and retiring. And, uh, you know, a whole lot of them don't have much retirement savings. You know, I think uh, I was looking at AARP this morning before this this podcast, and they're saying that 48% of households uh, that has someone 55 or older does not have a retirement plan. And even those that are at retirement, 30% of them don't have one. So it's certainly a population that's growing. I'm sure there's a lot of questions and a lot of uh, people looking for answers out there, but it seems like it's kind of underserved population, too. Well, and you know, my daughter asked me the other day, you know, why do your clients come to you? And I thought about (laughs) it for a while, really. And it's those people that you're talking about, Cameron. Yeah. They're most of them have no idea really what to do. And they're very, it's a very high source of stress for them. It is. And these are smart people, right? These are smart people. People come in the office that are engineers, they run companies. And you know what? They just don't, they, and they, some of them, I had a guy in the office the other day that's tried to do his own investing, but the, the emotions just continue to get to him and he keeps making the wrong decisions all the time. Well, and so at the end of the day, I said, really, I, you know, really help people out and lower their stress because they are so relieved to just say, look, I here, John, I trust you. Please just take care of it. Make sure I have enough money to live. Right. Yep. And so at the end of the day, and you and I for the last 20 plus years, I mean, all we do is kind of eat, breathe and sleep this stuff. <laughs> and and you kind of have to because, yeah, you know, the markets, they're just keep getting more and more complex. I mean, it hasn't gotten anything but more complex over oh, 25 yes. years. Right. No. Nope. Yeah. There's no and so how can anybody who isn't in this world expect to just retire and be an expert and not have some source of stress if they're trying to do it all themselves. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So let's 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 tell people who we are, right? So so my name's Cameron Bernanski. I'm a financial planner, and I'm in the Dayton, Ohio market. And part of why I wanted to do this podcast with you, John, is a I've known you forever, and b we're in totally different markets, right? I'm in I'm in a, a heart in a heartbeat of the country out here in Middle America, and you are where. I am in Tacoma, Washington. So we are crisscrossing the United States. 
And I imagine we have different types of clients too. Like I, you know, being in Dayton, Ohio, we had a lot of people that worked for General Electric, General Motors, uh, Delco. I mean, a lot of union people. And when the union unions left and those big companies left, got a lot of people that have pensions and stuff like that. Whereas you, you probably have people that are kind of a little bit more, I don't know, technology oriented, technology oriented and, or just lots of medium sized Boeing, medium sized to smaller companies even um a lot of entrepreneurial types you know that start their own business and they're specialists in whatever area and then they retire and you know i think the long story short is you know these clients are looking to replace their paycheck yep as the paycheck goes away and i and i you know going from the middle of the country to the coast, I just felt like there's probably a lot of differences. There's probably a lot of things that are the same, but there's probably a lot of things that are different. So I just thought, Hey, why not make it a little interesting? And we'll just talk about things that we think are interesting. Right. That sounds great. Now, how did we meet John? We met a long time in college. Where'd we go to school? Oral Roberts university. Yeah. The Oral Roberts university University. in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That made it to the final well, not Final Four, but... They made a great run. This, they made a great run this, this year. This is not a basketball podcast, but we cannot go much farther without acknowledging what a great job they did at the uh, final at the NCAA tournament. Yes, that was that was fun. So we knew each other back in college. Um, did did you start your MBA at the same time I did? Yep. So we, we walked... You, you helped me with my homework. Well, there's so many different stories we can go into, the, the ways that I've helped you and the ways that I hurt you back then. We won't, we won't do that. So we, we both, did you, you finalize yours at Ohio State or Oklahoma State also? I did not. We, my wife was desperate to move back to uh, Tacoma, get out of Oklahoma. And um, so I only got a year in and I was working for a money manager at the time. Yep. And then you and I were both Working on our MBA at night, yeah. Um, but I did not finish that. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bring that bad memory back up. No, it's okay. But I do remember going to class on Saturdays, and you'd put the top down on your red Miata, and we'd drive down Riverside Drive down to class. Oh, that's funny. You remember that? I do. I remember it very well. Wow. And I have a different Miata that I bought. I know with my son a few years ago. So we that's still pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. So then we um, we went to Jones Edward Jones together, right? We did. And so that was kind of our initial, um, that was your first start, wasn't it? You didn't start with the money manager. You started with Edward Jones, didn't you? Well, in college, I was working for a money manager and just kind of getting my feet wet, kind of understanding the business. Um, and then, yeah, once we graduated, I, I needed to start making some money. So went to Edward D. Jones, which was, you know, a great firm to start with. It was. Um, fan- the Great training. Yeah, very good training. Yeah, my in my history, I started with Jones. I spent a couple of years with Jones. It was a great training. Um, I, but I'll be honest with you, John. I I, I struggled with the transaction oriented aspect of Jones. You know, it, it was you always they always had good products, right? Good, right. good investments, great bonds, right? I mean, I just remember selling, you know, municipal insured bonds tax for paying, free. yeah, tax free six percent. I mean, it's crazy, right? But at the same time, I just hated how transaction oriented it was. I remember, you know, we'd, you know, sometimes we'd stay late in the evening and, you know, our our boss would buy us pizza and, you know, we'd just make cold calls on people trying to sell bonds. And and it wasn't that they were bad bonds. It wasn't anything that that hurt them. 
but it just, I, I wasn't always convinced it was the best option for them. And I, that kind of, I kind of wandered around a little bit. I, I it was Jones. I went with a bank for a while. You and I um, joined forces together again a little bit later to do uh, a tech value tech mutual fund that, that started when, <laughs> when did that start, John? Oh, in the late nineties. But I remember what's funny about Jones is I remember bringing up the fiduciary yep. managed money to them at that time. Now we're talking about yep. 1994. Right. And they laughed at me yeah. and they said, why would you do that? That's yeah. the dumbest thing ever. And I'm like, well, that's the best thing to do is to manage people be a fiduciary. Right. You know, look at the lowest cost options, ETFs, mutual funds, institutional and they just thought, John, why would you do that? That's terrible. Just sell a 6% loaded yeah. American funds and yeah. be quiet. Yeah. And that's why I left because, you know, I cited to your contract two years and a day. I left to, so that I could offer more managed um, because I felt good about it. Now, what's funny is 24 years later, whatever it is, 26 years, um, Jones has a huge managed money. Yeah, that they started just a few years ago. So they're very, very, very late to the party. But yeah. it's just funny to me that I was harping on them to do it, and you were too. And they just kind of laughed at us and said that was a dumb thing to do. They did, and and I I spent twelve years in the business in one form or another, and I ended up leaving the business because I just couldn't land on what what the opportunity was. To your point, that was a fiduciary that was doing the things that are in the best interest of the of the customer. And, you know, I went out and did industry and I was never going to come back to, to investing. Uh, and then several years ago, a friend that I knew uh, talked to me about the fact that, hey, this this fiduciary thing's real thing. Uh, it's it's expanded so much. The, the access to money managers with technology is the cost of entry has dropped so much that the average guy off the street now can have managed money with a fiduciary and it's not going to cost him any more than if he had American funds or something else. And in actuality, maybe cost, cost that person less. And I was like, wow, I, I, I was totally shocked to get back in this business, but I've been totally excited to be back in this business. Yeah, it's a great, and it's really, I talked about the complexity and that's, you know, it's just gotten more complex, but it's gotten much cheaper and yep. much better yep. for the clients at the yep. same time. So, yeah, it's been a, it's, you know, everybody, and that's the beauty of being in America and the competition and the it is. capitalist structure that everybody's inventing new things and making them cheaper and better and faster. And that just benefits the in investors. It does. And, and, we haven't done everything right, right? I, I mentioned this earlier, you know, you and I were part of a founding of a mutual fund, a tech value mutual fund that, that started, I believe, somewhere around March 4th of 2000. Uh, and the tech bubble burst on March 7th of 2000. I mean, literally our timing could not have been any worse, could it? Right. And we had really yep. good people and they, they had great hearts, uh, but, but that was just a tough, it was a tough yeah. time to start a mutual fund, right? And it struggled, right. you know, for another year until we disbanded it. So, you know, while I don't think you and I consider that much of a success in our in our experiences, I would also say that it did give us a lot of experiences, especially with mutual funds, understanding the costs behind mutual funds, what what 
impacts performance. I mean, I think you and I probably have a better in, insight on that than maybe just the average investment advisor out there. Well, I think you might agree with me that I think we learned more in that one year than I did working oh. on my MBA. Oh, no question. I mean, you know, and it was the school of hard knocks. It was. But yeah, we learned all, you know, from SEC, FINRA, yep. all the legal side, the yep. compliance side, the trading side. Yeah. You know, so we learned a lot there. Yep. We did. So I, I value the experience. It was stressful at the time, but I do value the experience. And look, John, I've always valued the fact that I got to do it with you because we've done so many things. I mean, there's been times in our lives that we've talked virtually every day on the phone. Now, lately, we haven't talked as much, but I mean, we, we have, even though we're a couple thousand miles apart, we do tend to talk a fair amount. Well, we have a lot in common. Well, what else do and, we have in common, John? Let's go. Oh, you, you started. Well, this. what else do we got? Well, you know, what, co- what did you do us, to my life, John? Well, yeah, it was my fault. It was. Well, it was really my wife's fault. Well, okay, we'll blame your wife, Karen. Blame my wife that she wanted to adopt a little girl. She had a dream. She calls it her God dream that she had a little Chinese girl when she was 16. Mm-hmm. And I just joked with her that that's why we support World Vision. Mm-hmm. We just, we don't need, no, we're not going to adopt a kid. We just send hundred bucks a month to World Vision and sponsor a kid. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> no, but then she worked on me and, uh, and we, we finally adopted one and then we adopted another one, another one. But when we were adopting our first one, I said, Hey Cameron, you know, this is what we're doing. And then you beat us to it. You got yours before we ever did. Yeah. And I, John, I, I literally, I can visually, I can remember this day like it is yesterday. I remember sitting in my car. I remember what office building I was sitting in. I remember having this conversation with you about your adoption from China. And I went, I thought, um, wow, I think we could do this. Kelly and I had six kids at that point of biological kids. And I thought, man, I, I think we could probably do this. It makes sense. And so, and I always, you know, like to jokingly tell the story that, you know, a, a rational person would have called their wife and talked to them at that point. But I called my accountant. First person I called was my accountant. <laughs> and I said, hey, Gary, are there tax benefits to adopting a child from overseas? And he wrote back, heck yeah, there's a ton of of benefits. So my second call was to my wife and she was more than willing to say yes. And so um, in the end, so how many natural, how many biological and how many adopted kids do you guys have? I tell people we have four made in America. So four (laughs) organic. I'm going to steal that. I think four. And we have three made in China. Well, that's awesome. Which is, Piddly compared to you. Well, no, but that no, I, I I don't want to discount that. Like that is that's awesome, right? That that is something to be uh, acknowledged because you know you've you've given those kids a forever home. And I know this again. This podcast is about investing. It's not about uh, adoption. But I, I value anyone that goes out and does adoption, that does foster care. I mean, you're real. You're really making a difference in people's lives and kids' lives. And and so I just. Uh, I thank you for for bringing us into the fold on this one, and um, you know we well, had. You can six, blame me. I do. I, I blame you, but I appreciate you for it at the same time because uh, yeah. you know we had six biological. We ended up getting eleven uh, adopted children from overseas, one from Vietnam, and ten from China. And you know you you get to play. You played a role in that, right? And so every one of my kids that is successful, you you get to take part in that. Well, you know we're just all trying to. It, you know, these these poor kids, they it's not none of their fault that they got abandoned, right? 
Nope. And and you know we do live in the greatest country in in the world. I agree. And and if we've got enough, um, then you know the point is to share. I mean that's the end of the day. Like well if it, you know we have a decent sized house, and we have a decent amount of money. So if we're not going to do it, then who is, right? I mean, really, at the end of the day, it's not, we're not like multi-multi-millionaires. No, but at the same time, you know, we have an extra room here, an extra room right. there. I mean, we're already spending a fortune on on groceries. So throwing a, you know, a, <laughs> a few more bucks down the road to buy a few more tortillas and chicken. I mean, you know, it's, uh, Everybody it makes asks. a world of difference right. to that one. To that one it know? does. Everybody asks, you know, where do they all sleep? I say, you know, we should have had stock in a bunk bed company because we own a million bunk beds. Uh, yep. You know, how do you get them where you're getting them? Yeah, we had a big 15 passenger fan. It's, you know, it's, it's as stylish as you can make a 15 passenger van, but it's not very stylish. So, but I think, and there's been some sacrifice along the way, but I think that's part of preparing for retirement too, right? I mean, we can't all have our cake and eat it too. We all have to make some decisions along the line and go with those decisions. And so was it hard to have a big family for you and for me? No, it wasn't hard because once we made the decision, we just made adjustments to our budgets and those other things that that made it possible. And I think um, I was sitting with a client yesterday who um, probably, you know, could have used a little bit more planning in their lives. But the reality is they're still in pretty good shape today and they're still fairly young. And so now they just have to kind of figure out what's important to them. And, you know, they can they can adjust how much they're going to need in, in retirement. They can start saving more today because it's not too late or they can change the retirement age. And and so it's it's never too late. Right. You You have what you have. And so just make adjustments to to your plan to fit your long term needs. And I think that's the part of this process that I like the most. I, I, I like doing investments. I like I like that aspect. But really, it's sitting down with a client, figuring out what their goals are and where they need to be and then developing that path on how they're going to get there. Well, and part of it too, Cameron, is, you know, you, your clients probably ask you, well, you know, I need you to be around for a while. <laughs> they do. So, you know, I, the, the one of the things that keeps me going and, you know, this is good for our clients is always doing research, right? Yep. Because you and I have so many kids and we're going to have to have pay for so many weddings <laughs> and so many colleges. I mean, just selfishly, we have to find good investments for ourselves. We do. And we're, I'm constantly reading the Wall Street Journal, watching CNBC, you know, yep. just like you, reading articles and doing research. And that translates over to our clients. So number one, you and I probably won't retire for a long, long time. No, nope. We have so many kids. And at the same time, we're looking for great investments, which we just, I mean, I tell my clients, hey, here's what I'm buying. Yeah. Here's what I'm doing. Yeah. And you can do it if you want, or you don't have to. I mean, no pressure. But, well, uh, and so I think that authenticity helps because um, we're doing it for ourselves. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, and we'll, we're not getting into specifics necessarily on investing in, in this podcast, but, you know, when we're doing this, it's the middle of 2021. Um, the market's high, right? And it's 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 sometimes feels like it's topping out. And you know, I got a lot of clients who are worried about getting into the market at this level because is it going to correct today? Is it going to correct a year from now? Is it going to correct two years from now? We, we don't know. But um, to your point, I am I'm investing in the market in certain ways that I feel comfortable with because I have to. 
I need right. that rate of return. Inflation's starting to to rear its ugly head, and I can't just sit on cash and 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 expect to have the dollars that I need later in life. And so, to your point, I have to figure out what I'm going to invest in as a fifty some year old investor looking at retirement, and that puts me in the same seat and as most of the people coming to talk to me. Right. Exactly. And I think that gives comfort to them that, hey, it's not, we're not just doing this for you, Mr. and Mrs. Client. We're doing this for ourselves. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. So, hopefully they appreciate that. So, yeah. so I was just kind of wanting to go through like some of the topics and, and we don't have to do them this way, but you know, we, in our office at Covenant Planning in, uh, in Dayton, Ohio, and you're, you're with Alexander Capital, right? Is that, the, that's the name of your firm? That's, uh, yeah, the broker dealer I work with. Yes. Yeah. So we try to look at income first, right? And so uh, income's important. We want to make sure our clients aren't going to outlive their income. I would say that for our clients, that's the biggest thing they ever uh, say to us is their concern. Would you agree with that? Well, that's where, you know, it all starts, right? Because at the end of the day, the clients are retiring and that, you know, twice monthly or once a month paycheck is going away yeah so that's the number one question everybody comes in is hey how do you replace that how, right. how you know what yeah, i might have x amount or y amount but well, how am i going to live going yeah. forward yeah so it's all based on that yeah and that comes you know that comes from their savings that comes from pensions how, do you guys have a lot of people with pensions no you know they're really going away i know and i you know i, I know the data says that uh, what the, the fortune 500 companies, you know, what it, in, in 1990 or 1995, like a hundred percent of them had a pension. And now, and I think the last I looked was the numbers from 2018, like less than 20% of those companies have pensions. I know that here in the heartland, because of, because of the big manufacturing companies we had out here, we actually do, I, I have a fair amount of people that come in on pensions. Um, and I, anyway, we have, we have a big military base here. And so I got a lot of people on federal pensions. So I'm sometimes surprised at the number of people we have with pensions, because I know elsewhere in the country, that's not the case, but you know, you, you have retirement income from your investments, you have a pension if that's available, and then you have social security. And those are kind of the three, you know, three pillars of what you got to work off of. Right. Yep. And what we do is, and I know you do this as well Is you know, we look at all those sources and analyze the social security and try to maximize if you're married or not, um, how old you are, you know, how can you, how long can you put off taking social security? When's the maximum time to do that? And then obviously looking at, you know, any 401k rolling over, how much should we be taking? How much should be conservative or aggressive? Yeah. And then really at the end of the day, it all really comes down to income because that's how you're going to live. So it's all about income are your investments going to be had need to be a little more aggressive to achieve those income goals over time? Or can we be a little more conservative? Yep. So yeah, that's the work that you and I do. Yep. And it's, it's hard to do if you don't know how to do it. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and, and we have the tools to do that, which is nice. We do. And, and we've got the experience too. So I think next, uh, the next podcast, we're going to talk about income more. So we'll, we'll kind of table that for the next one, but we always look at investments and how do they support income. Right. And you know, there's a lot of different investment options down there. But the thing that we like to say here is that 
um, all of your life, you've been an accumulator of assets, right? When you're 20, 30, 40 years old, it's just putting money away. And if the market goes down for a couple of years, that's not a problem. We're just going to keep investing in dollar cost average at lower prices, and we're just going to continue to move forward. But we try to encourage our, our clients as they hit the you know 50s and 60s mark that that mindset really has to change from an accumulator to a protector because um, when you start taking money out of an investment for income purposes in your 60s and the market goes down that same year, you probably have a, a bigger nut that you're going to have to crack as far as growing out of that hole. Yeah. I mean, how conservative can you be and still achieve yep. those goals? I mean, that's really we want to reduce the risk as much as possible and, but get you as much income as you need to, you know, keep you going. So you're enjoying your retirement. Yeah, I agree. So, well, uh, I think that we're slated. The third podcast will be about investments. So we'll kind of talk about bonds and equity investments. We talked about money management a little bit already, but we'll kind of delve into that and maybe even touch on insurance a little bit if, if you're okay with that. Yeah. Okay. And then we also, we our, our third thing we kind of look at long-term care and healthcare. You know, we actually have a couple of Medicare advisors in our office, which kind of helps people with that decision every year. But, you know, long-term care, the, the two biggest hits on your portfolio uh, as you get into retirement are going to be taxation and the potential for long-term care because, uh, what is it, one, one out of every three people over the age of 65 is going to need some sort of long-term care in their life. Well, I'm sure you've had this happen. And I remember early in my career, I had this happen where I had a client. I, and this was 20 some years ago. He'd saved several hundred thousand dollars. I want to say in the tune of five to 700,000, which was, you know, it's a lot now. It was even, even more then. But what was sad was he was <clears throat> physically fine, but his, you know, he was losing his um, memory. Yeah. <clears throat> and he was spending $10,000 a month. And it didn't take long for a good chunk, more than half of that money to, to just flitter away in the last three or four years of his life. Wow. And so when I saw that, because he had no long-term care insurance. Yeah. And it was really painful to me. It really eye-opening as well. Like, wow, this is a really, I mean, you, you play offense your whole life. You know, you're saving, saving, exactly. savings. And then you need to play good defense when, when you retire. And it's, you know, to spend 60 years saving money and then in the last three or four years, it all goes away. It just disappears. And it's got, you know, again, it's got nothing that, but more expensive. <clears throat> and he was fine. He had enough, but he, you know, he wanted to leave a lot for his kids. And, yeah. you know, they ended up getting a little bit, but, but you know, you don't, you don't want that to happen. No, you don't. And, and, and I'm not saying that everyone has to have long-term care insurance. Either. I mean, that can be right. pretty expensive, but right. you have to have a plan, right? You, you either, right. you either have money set aside of your own that you're going to pay for it. You, you have a long-term care policy that's going to help you with that. You do some trust work. And you know, I, one of the things about being in Ohio, we have a lot of benefits from, we can do a Medicare trust and we can set things up in a way that we can save a portion of your assets, even if you do go into a nursing home. And we can kind of delve into that later as, as we get into estate planning. But um, I, I think that you just you have to have a plan. You can't not ignore it because if you ignore it, you run a risk. And when I say one out of three people over 65, I, I don't mean that you're going to be relegated to a nursing home for the rest of your life, but you could have a, a, 
you could short term stay. Yeah, you could fall and break your hip. You could have something happen. You're going to have to stay somewhere for a certain period of time. And yeah, a lot of these policies have a 90 day exclusion, you know, at the beginning. But it, it's just a protection. We 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 um, we get up every morning. Uh, and if our house didn't burn down overnight, we're not upset about the fact that we paid our fire insurance, right? I mean, we just realize it's, it's something we pay for for protection. And I think that we need to make sure that our clients are thinking about that protection and their need of that protection early on as possible so that they can um, make provisions and plans for it. Yeah. And I think the planning, the estate planning, to me, is always kind of a first step. Because <clears throat> if you can set it up, I mean, there's com- they go hand in hand, but if you can kind of do a Medicaid trust or, you know, an irrevocable trust and, and set up your assets, right. It does mitigate a lot of the need Yep. Um, yep. for that. So yep. yeah, just kind of talking about that. And in fact, I was talking to a client about it yesterday and she goes, wait a second, what, you know, how does this work? That doesn't yeah. seem right. I'm like, well, actually, yeah, you set this up and, you know, we kind of went through it. She's wow, that's really cool. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, we aren't attorneys and we don't. Nope, we are not. We don't draft those up, but we can kind of point you in the right direction to explain how they were, get you to talk to the right people to help yep. you. That's our job, yeah. right? We're quarterback yeah. in this thing. Right. Yeah. Um, next week, we, we, we'll probably talk about taxes at some point. And, when, and we, when I sit down with clients, I often say that, you know, A, like you said, we're not attorneys. B, we're not accountants either. Um, we're not here to do your taxes every year, but we are here to evaluate your tax burden today, tomorrow, and 15 to 20 years from now. I, I cannot tell you how many people we have in the office, John, who don't think about the fact that their required minimum distribution from their qualified money is going to cost them a ton of money down the road. And we had a client in last last week, I think it was, and we were showing him the fact that, yes, your required minimum distribution at age 72 is only 3.6 some percent. But as you get older, it gets bigger. And this client was going to be taking $250,000 out a year by the time he turned 85 to 87 years of age. And he had no idea that was his burden. And again, it's, it's planning, right, John? It's, it's, we don't know what taxes are going to be 20 years from now. We have no idea. We don't even know what taxes are going to be two years from now. To be honest, Right. Really, we're um, not sure at the, by the end of this year. Yeah. Well, I know it's being gracious, yeah. John. Um, and and the reality is, uh, it's part of the planning process. If we make plans today, you know, we've we've invested in the tools in our office to to develop income production plans that maximize your value and minimize your taxes over time. And look, just like long term care. We don't begrudge any long-term care facility the money amount of money they need to take care of ourselves and our loved ones. And we don't begrudge the United States government for the taxes that they're owed. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to pay more for either of those things than we have to. And if we can make plans today, you know, the, the current tax uh, plan sunsets in 2026. And the current tax plan is very, very favorable to people, especially people who have a modest amount of savings and want to convert their qualified money to non-qualified money. And I think that we're really trying to push people to take advantage of the next couple of years and the sunset could go away. Right, John? I mean, they, they, right. They, government can do anything, but today we have some decent tax rates in 2021 to convert money and put it in a place that's not going to be taxed 20 years from now. And so I, I'm sure you're in the same spot as we are, John, is of just trying to get people to, plan distributions now 
that's going to benefit them 20 years from now. Yeah. And again, that's stuff that's kind of out of the box that if you were a dentist or a plumber or, you know, work for a company for a long time and you were really good at that, you don't, you know, thinking about all these different things is not necessarily, it's not in your, your, your view. Right. Yep. And, and if you do kind of start thinking about it, even if you do all your own homework, it maybe it's three or four years past and you could have been doing something right up front. So exactly. Yep. So yeah, taxes are important. We cannot forget that. And then the final, we'll round the corner here. Our final kind of topic for this, for this podcast is estate planning. We've already touched on it. I don't, I don't know the stats, the stats for the state of Washington, but I do know the stats for the state of Ohio. And that is that there are 60,000 lawyers in the state of Ohio and of wow. those 60,000 lawyers, uh, less than 200 are elder care certified. And so, um, you know, we, we don't have our own lawyers, but we have two lawyers that share office space with us that are elder care attorneys. And I think that's hugely valuable because um, it allows you the opportunity to uh, control what happens to your assets after you, after you pass away. And look, John, I, I'm sure you're the same boat got people who could care less. They're going to spend every dime of their inheritance that they can. And if they bounce the last check that they write after they die, they're happy. I've got yeah. other clients who I'm just going to give it to Joe and Sue or my son and daughter. I don't really care what happens to it. Uh, and that's fine too. There's nothing wrong with that. But we we have a lot of, a lot of clients who want to make sure the assets get to where they want them to go. And they, they understand that life happens, you know, your son and daughter-in-law have a great marriage today, but 10 years ago, 10 years from now, they may not. And do you want all the money that you spent a lifetime saving and accumulating? Do you want your son's new ex-wife to have half of that? And, and when we present it to people, a lot of them are, are like, no, I don't. And, and we have a lot of opportunities to protect those assets. Or do you want that ex-wife to get all of it if something happened to your son <laughs> exactly right exactly. i mean yeah. and and if she had kids that she brought into the marriage do you want non-blood kids you know what i mean it's just there's yeah there's lots of things to think about i mean it's uh -huh. not necessarily fun and we all want to think the best but at the same time yeah i mean i don't personally you know if one of my daughters got married and then they got divorced or something happened to her. I wouldn't want, and they had other kids. I wouldn't want all that money to go to kids. I didn't, I'm not related to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So if, if you want, if you want to make sure that the assets go to who you want to go to, if you want to make sure that those assets go to your grandkids and, and you provide some opportunity for them not to have this stifling educational debt that so many people have right now, the only way to do that is really with trust. And it's sometimes, I, 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 I'm sure you get the same thing, John. I get a bunch of people in the office that say, oh, I don't have enough money for a trust. And we have to tell them it's not about how much money you have. Trust, you know, in our area, you know, to do the trust work, like we're talking about, you're talking four, five, six thousand dollars $6,000 maybe, you know, right. maybe a little bit more if it's more complex. But it's not a huge sum of money for the peace of mind of knowing that, your assets are going to be taken care of. And if you only have four or $500,000, it doesn't matter. It, the trust provides you some protection that just holding it in normal form or transfer on death is just not going to benefit. And 
Yeah, I mean, and maybe there's a few people listening that have bigger estates. I sat down with a client and I took him to see our estate planning attorney two weeks ago. And he's got, you know, in the range of 20 million bucks. And he had no idea that the state of Washington has an estate tax. <laughs> and then I, we, you know, so we started the meeting off, didn't go very well at the beginning because <laughs> the lawyer said, hey, just so you know, you know, everything above 11 million is going to be, could be 40% tax. The state of Washington, everything over 2 million starts. Oh around, my goodness. Yeah. T- seven to 10%, I think. So he's like, well, wait, why am I even working? because <laughs> I, everything i everything every other dollar i get uh i you know fundamentally have a problem with the death tax just because yeah, I you do spend too. your whole life paying taxes exactly you know you make a hundred dollars 30 of it goes to the government then i got 70 left now the 70 i've left i've already paid tax on it now you're going to tax that again when i just because i die but to your point cameron is that you know there's ways to set that up and he's looking, which is great, at a charitable trust. Yeah. And uh, well, he's actually looking at a family foundation. And he's just like, look, I'm just going to everything over 10 million bucks. I mean, that, that 10 million bucks will be great for all my kids. Everything over that, I'd rather see it go to charity than the government. Exactly. And he's going to control that forever. And his kids will have it'll be great for his family. It'd be great for his kids to have something to do, to work together, to decide how to give you that money away every year. Yep. And so, you know, he's like, it's really about control. And if you're interested in controlling, you know, the money you've made past your time on this earth. Yep. You know, setting up a trust is a, is a great way to go. Yeah. No, I agree. Well, John, I think this went pretty well, didn't it? Yeah, I think so. It wasn't Hopefully too nobody's painful. asleep. Right, or I guess be. they turned us off already. So, well, I think we'll probably keep going. I, uh, like I said, we have a few more podcasts kind of scheduled over the next uh, several weeks. So this is the first, and we just wanted to kind of get people a taste of who we were, where we came from, and what our plans were. Anything you want to add here at the end, John? No, this is fun. I it's it's you know my favorite topic. I started buying stock when I was twelve. Yeah. And so I tell my clients, look, I'd be doing this research and doing this because I love it no matter what I did in life. But I just happened to be a financial planner like you, Cameron. So this is something we love to do. And and it's something we're constantly researching. And so it's, you know, it's natural for us to talk about it. And hopefully the listeners will, um, you know, be beneficial for them as well. I mean, what else do they have to listen to in the car, right? I mean, we're we're somewhat entertaining. Right. They're on their walk. They're doing their Peloton. <laughs> That's right. Peloton. Uh, don't you have to listen on a Peloton? I don't know. I don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll cut people loose and then we'll look forward to the next uh the next podcast shortly. Have a great day, John. Thank you. You too. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Founders Financial Services LLC and Alexander Capital LP. Members FINRA, SIPC, and Registered Investment Advisory. Content of this podcast is for information purposes only and may not fit your specific situation. Please meet with a financial advisor to determine what investments and retirement planning are appropriate for you and your situation.